Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. I'm super excited today to be interviewing Jackie List. Jackie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Full disclosure, Jackie recently interviewed me for an article on strategic partnerships for the Inc. Masters Network, so I selfishly thought I'd return the favor. Jackie, I know Inc. isn't all that you do, so let's talk a little bit about the really cool stuff you're up to in the world. Yeah, sounds great. So I divide what I do into a couple of different buckets. The first bucket is ghostwriting. So I ghostwrite thought leadership pieces primarily for CEOs or other um, executives when they have the opportunity to write um, an opinion piece for, say, Fortune or Forbes, something like that. So that's really neat because I get to learn from very interesting, smart folks and help them sound even better than they might on their own, or, or sometimes it's a matter of time. The people I'm writing for are actually great writers, but they don't have the time to maybe put the pen to paper, if you will, um, and get and get those bylines done. So that's a lot of fun. I also write for publications like Inc. Magazine, primarily branded content. D does that term mean anything to you? It does, but let's define it just in case not everybody knows what it means. Yeah, sure. So so branded content is any content that is created either by a marketer or sort of funded by a marketer, and it's serving some sort of marketing purpose. So Inc. Magazine, for example, has a really robust branded content program. You could take a software company like MailChimp, and MailChimp is, of course, interested in reaching business owners. So rather than creating content that's just about how wonderful MailChimp is, they might do something like, hmm, let's come up with an article that has tips for how busy entrepreneurs can use technology to save time. Um, and that, that's an actual project I did for Inc. and MailChimp, right? So the content is valuable to the reader um, and... It's tying back to MailChimp as well, though, in sometimes obvious ways and sometimes less obvious ways. So the branded content stuff is is really neat, and I can blabber on and on about it if, if there's interest later. Um, but that's a big, big part of what I do. And then the, the third pillar is working directly with companies to create content strategies and execute upon them. So figuring out, okay, what kind of content does a business need to be creating to connect with their audience in interesting ways 
whether that's white papers, blog articles, um, some website copywriting mixed in there too. So yeah, keeping busy. That is awesome. Let's go back in time a little bit because you've built quite a unique niche for yourself. How did you get started? Mm, so glad you asked that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I thought that I would be more a creative writer, first and foremost, truthfully. I really thought that I would write the next American novel, and truthfully, I have not ruled it out yet. It's something I hope to do, but I kind of quickly realized that I, I wanted to live in New York City. I needed to make some money. I needed to make some money quickly. <laughs> so no one was paying me to, to write something creative um, at, at that early stage in my life. So I, I ended up working in publishing, book publishing for Penguin on the publicity side, helping authors um, get, get recognized for the books that they were writing. I was enjoying it. Um, but I mean, this is going to sound crass really but you don't make a lot of money in publishing at least not early on there so um i changed jumped around a little bit did a quick stint in finance um and ended up doing the bulk of my career before going out on my own at a content marketing company called media planet so media planet creates these mini magazines um well that's dating myself we started off making mini magazines before everything went digital that were distributed within major newspapers like the Washington Post, USA Today, et cetera. So we did those all over the globe and I worked my way up to the editor-in-chief uh, of the North American offices and then eventually the global head of production where I was working with the editorial teams all over, all over the world, which was really neat and involved a lot of um, travel. And the bulk of what we did with these special supplements that we were creating was sort of like that branded content I was describing for you. We had to come up with content that was interesting to our readers, but also kept in mind the objectives of the advertisers that were paying to run ads within those supplements. So it was that balancing act that I realized that I had a knack for, and it allowed me to still scratch that creative writing itch, but also learn about a new interest that I hadn't realized I had, which was really like the business side of things and the marketing side of things um, and finding that intersection. That is fascinating. I'm sure the longer version of that journey could probably be in a book somewhere if it isn't. Right. <laughs> exactly right. I had to had to take a breath and say, all right, let me let me stop blabbering about that. Um, but yeah, it really set me up nicely for for what I did, uh, for what I do now. And if you don't mind me telling you a, a, another little antidote that set me up for what I'm doing now. While I was at Media Planet, as I said, we were print only at first. And I was there when the whole world realized, the media and publishing world realized that, okay, digital is the future. So we watched as USA Today came up with their digital strategy, Washington Post, et cetera. Um, and it was part of my job, along with my boss, to figure out what Media Planet's digital strategy would be. So I became the head of digital for Media Planet, knowing nothing, um, figuring out how do we build a content hub? How do we drive traffic to this? What are we selling to our advertisers? How much traffic are we delivering, et cetera, et cetera. Truly trial by fire, incredible learning experience. And in that experience, I met with a lot of ad tech vendors who were selling me solutions. 
And I realized that there was a communication problem within this ad tech bubble. And it's part of what inspired me to go out on my own and start JR Lisk, which is my, my content creation and strategy company. And ad tech was and still is one of my main verticals that I that I service, helping ad tech companies figure out how they can explain what it is they do in a really clear, easy under a way to, you know, a way that the audience can understand. That is so interesting. Who is so you've got your finger in a number of different pies. Who's an ideal client for you now? Hmm, that's a great question. I would say I've learned, and it took me probably five, six years to really learn it, that it's okay to say no. And to your point, I'm in the happy position where I really can only say yes to the, I have the luxury to only say yes to that ideal client, if you will. And and I kind of learned the hard way of spreading myself too thin and saying yes to everything. And now I, I realize that it is okay to say no when the product isn't the right fit for me and to focus on those things that I, that I can do best. Um, and I'd say it's the people who matter more than the company. I'm happy to work with any business under the sun. I think any company can be truly fascinating if the person that I'm working with is a good fit, which just means they're kind, they're nice, they're honest, they're reasonable, um, fun. I like to have fun at work. We spend so much time here. So the ideal client really for me is someone where I can work closely with um, the, the company's you know, executive that I'm working with and just have a great working relationship. I do still love ad tech and technology, but um, and any vertical really, as I've said, I have some experience in and enjoy working in. Awesome. Does your, when you're ghost writing, does that ever extend beyond, let's say, a single thought leadership piece? Have you ever ghost written an entire book, say? Ah, yes. So, so yes and yes. Often when I'm ghostwriting for an executive, we are working on a series of content. For example, right now, ghostwriting is so funny. It's like, you don't want to call anybody out. So I, I'm hesitant to share names of executives that I'm ghostwriting okay. with. And the yes answer is good enough. Yeah. And it's, it's a whole, I mean, honestly, it's an interesting topic because I wish there was less silence around ghostwriting. And I wish people could be more open about the fact that they work with a ghostwriter because it is truly their ideas. I'm just helping them get it on paper, right? I'm not writing it for them. They're on the phone with me. I'm asking them questions. They're sharing their perspectives. I'm interviewing, I'm recording the interview rather, and just putting their words on paper. So it's nothing to be ashamed of to work with a ghostwriter. Um, but I also understand why folks don't want to shout it from the rooftop so that it wasn't actually them um, who, who wrote the finished piece. But yes, so often when I'm ghostwriting for somebody, it's a series of articles, perhaps for Forbes, for example. And then I did ghostwrite uh, a book as well. It was about PR best practices, sort of a grassroots approach to PR and how smaller companies could get some publicity for themselves without having to invest in an expensive PR firm. And that was a great experience. I love that a PR firm used a ghostwriter. That's, yeah, that's exactly awesome. you. You would be surprised. And again, I, I can't, I can't um, underline it enough. Some of the folks that I'm writing for, they're truly such great writers themselves. And then it becomes this really fun collaborative process where we're lobbing the draft back and forth and um, really just honing in on this excellent finished project that has a lot of value for the client beyond even just the initial publication, right? Like, yeah, it publishes in Forbes, but it lives 
forever, hopefully. And, and it's something they can use as sales collateral, share with their team, fodder for social media, right? Something to share on LinkedIn because we all need to come up with that stuff. So it's, it's great. I love it. So with all the success you've achieved, not just for your own business, but for your clients, what's your biggest challenge now? Mm, very good question. So it's something, if you'd asked me this maybe two or three years ago, I would say that my biggest challenge was spreading myself too thin and saying yes to everything. I think I've gotten better at that. Now I think I have a challenge of succinctly, and I, I probably proved this in this talk, succinctly explaining what I do in a way that sounds, I don't want to say believable, but I truly have these three strong specialty areas where I, I just have years and years of experience in each of those three buckets. And sometimes I feel like when I'm describing it to a potential prospect, it can almost sound like too much or too good to be true. And then on the other side of that, a problem I've had is sort of being pigeonholed. Um, okay, I'm copywriting for this big giant ad tech company, and they don't realize that I could also be ghostwriting for their CEO. And it can be hard for me to figure out if and how I might be able to transition from those 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 different um, functions that I could provide for the company. So I think communication of my offerings could be a bit challenging for me. And then also going deeper with the existing clients that I have. That's awesome. For our folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more, where is the best place for them to go learn more about all things Jackie? jrlisk.com is a great place to start. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn, Jacqueline.lisk. I, I think that, that would bring you to me pretty easily. Awesome. And you talked about spreading yourself too thin. How many clients at a time can JR Lisk handle at the moment? So I typically have about eight active clients at a time. I should add that I can scale my services. Um, I've experimented with different scaling uh, strategies over the years. What I find works best for me is that I have a roster of like-minded writers, designers, developers, et cetera, that I can call on to support larger projects. So for example, um, you know, we can build a website from the ground up. It's not me. I don't know how to design or develop a website. I know how to run, project manage that and do the copywriting side of things and, and the strategy, a little bit of UX help there as well I could provide. Um, so yes, I can call on folks to help support me for larger projects. And that's what helps me um, handle about, yeah, seven to eight active clients at, at any given time. Awesome. I love the boutique service. This has been, again, we Seth Green for Sharkpreneur with Jackie Lisk of jrlisk.com. Jackie, we know your time's incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some with us. Thank you very much, Seth. It was so much fun. I got to blabber about myself and be on the other end of this. As you said, it's usually me asking the questions when I'm when I'm writing a piece and interviewing someone. So it's fun to be on the other side. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jackie. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening. We will see you or talk to you next time. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.